Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question for you. Yes, Erin. Um, this is like more of an information gathering question than like a joke or a trap, like okay. most of my questions. Um, okay. What's your What's your favorite Dolly Parton fact? My favorite Dolly Parton fact is that she once lost a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. What? Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. Um, I have several favorite Dolly Parton facts. One is that she's been married forever, and mm-hmm. we, like don't know what her husband looks like or anything because she's just like completely private. Um, I also love the fact that when she and her husband go out, she just she doesn't go like full glitz. She just looks like a normal Southern lady who's like you know had work done, but that's it. And so she's like incognito. People don't recognize her when she goes out. <laughs> I always love that. Here's another Dolly Parton fact to add to the fact that she's just like one of the great, one of the greatest Americans, one of the greatest living Americans for sure. Dolly Parton and like Jimmy Carter and like Sherilyn Eiffel. There's like a handful of greatest Americans. Um, So Dolly Parton gave a million dollars to the effort to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, um, which was the project that eventually led to Moderna's 95% success rate vaccine that was announced in the past week. And you know why she made the donation to develop the vaccine? Why? Okay, so in 2013, Dolly Parton got in a car accident, a minor car accident, but one of the doctors that treated her was named Najee Abenrod, who is the father of Radiolab host Jod Abenrod. And the doctor and Dolly Parton bonded and became friends, and she made the donation to Vanderbilt in honor of him. What an American hero. What a goddamn American hero. I'm just happy that anything I do can help somebody else. And when Mm -hmm. I donated the money to the COVID fund, I just wanted it to do good. This week, we are joined by President-elect Biden's COVID advisory board member, Dr. Celine Gounder, and Tian Tran to tackle the following. 
How does a transition work when one party won't agree to transition? With two promising vaccines on the verge of being distributed, can we start planning our New Year's Eve parties now? Probably not. What makes a loser? And finally, in a new segment, is wine tasting even real? All this and more right now. Okay, let's get to the news. Uh, Donald Trump is still refusing to concede. We're doing uh, more on that later. Uh, But for now, let's live in reality, Alyssa. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the state of the transition, whether or not Donald Trump wants it. Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States, and Kamala Harris is going to be the next vice president of the United States. Um, So can you take us through a little bit about what is going on with the transition and, uh, and anything that's exciting to you about it? A couple things. So having been through a transition and having to have planned for a transition in 2012 when we were in the White House, we still had to plan for a transition for Mitt Romney in case we lost. Um, I will say that we are so lucky that Joe Biden is the person who is in this situation for us because he spent eight years in the White House, so at least they know how it works. His new chief of staff, Ron Klain, also spent a lot of time in the White House, so he knows how it works. Ron Klain, a virus czar, the king of pandemics, uh, led point for two of them in the White House. So I feel like we're good, right, that they are making chicken salad out of chicken shit. They should not have to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. They should not have to do that. So do I think that Team Biden is doing like a 10 out of 10 on, you know, given what they have? Absolutely. Do I think that old GSA Emily should take time out from looking for a job because she knows that she's not going to have one soon and sign the paperwork to do what needs to be done? And so for people listening, it actually comes down to the General Services Administrator, the GSA, to sign the paperwork declaring the president-elect such that all of the resources of the transition can be handed over. That includes office space, funding to pay people. Uh, The transition is a pretty uh, scantily funded operation to begin with. In 2008, when we had uh, Hillary Clinton come meet with Barack Obama about being Secretary of State in Chicago, we had to go to Bed Bath & Beyond and find a pitcher to pour some apple juice in because there's no money for food or anything. And then we had to take that shit home at the end of the day and wash it ourselves. So like the transition is bare bones and all the money literally goes towards paying people. The Biden team has set up agency review groups, which is typical, except typically they get paid. Everyone's doing it volunteer. So they are doing the absolute best they can. He's still not getting the security briefings that he should be getting. He has a wonderful like national security team that he's had for many years since he was on the uh, Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate. And they've all come together to sort of do what they can, but this is not what should be happening. It is not acceptable. Um, And it doesn't really look like Team Trump is budging anytime soon on um, getting with God, getting with what's happening, as my old boss used to say. Yeah, it's sort of a a war on reality that just continues, despite reality closing in on them. Um, I also have thought about the fact that, like, out of everybody— in America, Joe Biden probably knows his way around the White House better than just about anyone else. So he, like, doesn't need a tour or anything. Like, he, he can just kind of show up and be like, it's cool. I already know where the bathrooms are. Like, totally. I already— he knows where the bathrooms are. They like so many of his team know the component working parts uh, within the West Wing, within the the executive office of the president. So like we're 
good on so much of that. Like, they they understand how the photo office works. That one was one that really blew my brain apart when I learned about it. They know mm-hmm. all of that. It's just they need they need to be able to use the most agreed, not the most egregious, but one particularly egregious thing is that foreign leaders, including some of Trump's best friends, have made peace with the fact that Biden is president-elect. And Mm -hmm. he's being forced to accept and do these calls without the State Department connecting them, which means it's a secure call, uh, and without translators. Can you even, I can't imagine how this is going down, but they don't even have the access to the State Department translators. Well, uh, I think the good news and the good side of that is that I imagine that in um, in Democratic circles, there are probably a lot more multilingual people than there are in Donald Trump's circles. So there might be good people point. just on hand available to speak, I don't know, you know, Spanish or, you know, Polish or- Farsi. Yeah, right. Or, you know, Farsi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, that's good, at least. Um, you know, it also seems like the courts are sort of getting very annoyed with uh, Donald Trump's team's kind of frivolous lawsuits. I believe that as of recording time, which is Wednesday morning, um, they might have lost more by tomorrow. Uh, they are one in 25. Yeah. Um, yep. They've lost 25 cases. The most recent one was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling on Tuesday that Republican monitors observing vote counting in Pennsylvania or in Philadelphia were given access under state law to view the proceedings. It was a 5-2 decision. So, which is de- which is deceptive, um, because in the the five justices that that agreed that it was you know to to reject the Trump campaign or the Trump campaign suggestion, um, there weren't two people who agreed with the Trump campaign. The two dissenters were like, "This is so stupid; it shouldn't even exist." So, like, they dissented in a way that was like, like. We think that you shouldn't win and also fuck you. Like the two added a fuck you on top of it. (laughs) Fuck you and you're wasting my time. Um, So Pennsylvania isn't looking good for Trump. Um, In Michigan on Tuesday night, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle um, where Wayne County's board of uh, supervisors, election board, uh, refused to certify the county's election results. That county contains Detroit. One of the white members of the board suggested that they would certify the results except for Detroit, which is one of the most, that that is like some 1960s era racism. Like it, in the, it's not even like, it's not even like modern day racism. It's like antique racism, like restored to its like, you know, it only uses leaded gasoline racism. Like that's how <laughs> old that racism is. And then there was an outcry uh, everywhere. And eventually the board did reverse. And instead of being deadlocked two to two on partisan lines, the, the board decided to certify the election results, which means that M- Michigan's election results are now certified. Trump's path to victory has been non-existent since people showed up to vote. And his path to non-reality is narrowing. Um, Do you think he's going to concede, like, ever, Alyssa? No, no. He's not going to concede. He is going to be like, I can't even, I had, like, a whole thing in my head, I think, about what he would say. Mostly, I think he's just going to, like, stomp out of the West Wing at some point and just not go back. Like, he's going to continue firing people who are somewhat critical to the function of government. He's, I mean, God, we didn't even talk about the fact he just woke up on Monday and was like, I'm withdrawing troops from Iraq and Afghanistan. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Jesus Christ. 
I mean, we have to just hope that people don't do what he says, but at some point he's going to run out of things to stop doing and he's just going to have to leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he hasn't been going to to virus briefings for the last five months. Forever. Um, yeah, and that which is like a crazy. Um, I read an article recently that said that he had, quote unquote, stopped trying to fight the virus, which implied that at some point he'd had been trying, which is like, <laughs> Very the only upsetting. time he tried to fight the virus was when he had it. <laughs> I know, and he didn't even do it alone. That's like saying I flew cross country using only my arms when really I flew an airplane. Like, no, the pilot, I was on a plane and the pilot flew it. Donald Trump was treated in a six-room suite in one of the best hospitals in America by a team of experts. Every doctor. <laughs> with every doctor using an experimental treatment. Look, all I have to say is that when Jim, I know I'm on a Jimmy Carter kick, but I think you really a, are. He's a real <laughs> fucking he's with Jimmy a, Carter. <laughs> I love him so much. I'm in one of my friends' phones as Jimmy Carter. Um, I think that when Jimmy Carter, whenever Jimmy Carter gets sick, we better deploy at least twice as many doctors to keep that American treasure alive because he is important. I agree. He's important. I want I want him around to cheer for Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, whether or not the Trump family is there pouting like pieces of shit. All right. Uh, time for a little toasting and roasting. Alyssa, do you have anything to toast this week? Let's toast Lysandra Olstrom's roast of Ivanka. Okay. The one that was in Vanity Fair. The one that was in Vanity Fair, apparently the two of them were friends for a very long time doing very uh, white privilege things that I guess she misses doing with her friend Ivanka. And she wrote an essay about what a terrible person Ivanka has become, which we are aware of. It was nice to get some of the color of the fact that Ivanka has been terrible for years of all of the like pro-feminist, I'm there, I'm here for it. Apparently she's been saying things like, don't give me books about poor people for <laughs> most of her life. She also, oh yeah, she didn't want to read Empire Falls by Richard Russo. It was that, like, that's the book. It wasn't like, it wasn't it, like, it's a sociological text about poverty. And maybe she just was not graceful in saying that she didn't really care about the structures of, like, it wasn't even, it was like fucking Empire Falls. She, yeah, she, she wasn't talking read. about Jonathan Kozel. <laughs> no, no, she wasn't talking about Chicago public schools problems or anything. Nope, she was talking about fucking Empire Falls, which was turned into, I think, a miniseries. Also, she blamed farts on people. Ivanka blamed a fart on somebody, which I think was the high point of the piece. I want to go ahead and we are we are toasting the roast, but I want to roast Do the it. roaster. She seemed like a big fucking jerk who didn't quite understand that nothing like like some one of the people who responded to me tweeting about it said like going to an expensive school isn't the same thing as having a personality. And I got to <laughs> say, I've got a little bit True. of I've got a little bit of a middle-class chip on my shoulder about this, but I do not think we need any more stories about Upper East Side people who go to uh, exclusive private schools thinking they're interesting. They are so much less interesting to me than almost any other demographic of people and also a hundred times more tedious because they are so 
obsessed with how interesting they think they are. Give me a new story. I want a new story that I haven't heard before. I don't want to hear about someone suffering from like Upper East Side ennui and going to Barney's and like taking the bullet. It's so true. It's literally the premise of The Undoing on HBO Max right now. I am not watching it because it's like I do like Nicole Kidman and I do like a good coat. And I feel like the show has a lot of Nicole Kidman and a lot of great coats. I I just find that whole world very boring. I'm not like do a new thing. Do something interesting. I don't know. Like, no, I agree with you. I I just, uh, my toasting of the roast was mostly that I like that people can now see Ivanka isn't someone who turned on the nasty when she got into the White House, and therefore she cannot be redeemed once she leaves the White House. She's been a dick for a long-ass time. Yeah, I mean, look, nature versus nurture, whatever. But I think that she's really leaned into her nature with her nurture. She was, she is, you know, the child of a of a real uh, terrible person, and she's really leaned into it. So, um, you know, I think that while I do find these like tell alls a little bit tedious, I, I do begrudgingly accept the fact that for the next n number of years, we're going to be getting all these tell alls from people that used to be friends with people who are. Trump family members who hate them because they're also probably bad people too because it's kind of bad to write an essay about your friend sucking. Okay. Um, Do we have any more toasts this week? You had a toast, right? I I had a quick little toast I'd like to to make to Jennifer O'Malley-Dillon. She was the very successful campaign manager for the Biden campaign who is now going into the White House as Deputy White House Chief of Staff, which is the job I had, and she's going to crush it. I was emailing with her last night, and I'm like, girl, what did you do? (laughs) From running a campaign (laughs) to doing this, like, you got to go take a break. But she will be uh, she will be awesome, and she's got little kids, and and she's just fucking plowing ahead. And uh, anyway, we're very excited for her, and we wanted to take a second to toast her after the New York Times forgot her a couple weeks ago. So unbelievable! Like, what a good way to not start off on the right foot with the mm-hmm. Biden administration. Like, you know, for all of the the somewhat founded, and I'm saying this as a member of the press critique of the the Obama administration's availability to press. Um, I think that maybe starting out with his vice president's presidency, snubbing Jen O'Malley Dillon was probably not a good call. Probably not a good call, but I hope that she enjoys whatever satisfaction she gets from whatever penance she makes them pay. (laughs) (laughs) What a blessing. I would accept that as a cross stitch on my wall. Right? Amazing. Okay, there's been a lot of talk this week about uh, vaccines. Uh, Pfizer has developed a vaccine that appears to be effective. Unfortunately, it needs to be refrigerated at like negative a million degrees. And there's like all these logistical issues with distributing it. And the states aren't ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Moderna vaccine has been, uh, has promising results as well. Um, Neither you nor I are scientists or doctors. I know uh, several scientists and doctors that get very cranky when non-science people try to talk about science in the media and get it wrong. So let's uh, let's bring in an expert. I think I think this is a time to bring in somebody who who really knows what they're talking about. We're going to be interviewing today uh, somebody we're really excited about, Dr. Celine Gounder. She is a member of President-elect Joe Biden's COVID advisory board, which is comprised of experts, which is amazing. 
Uh, so oh let's, my God. I know. Can you believe it? Um, so let's get Dr. Gounder on the phone and let's ask her about the state of the pandemic, what's being done and what has yet to be done. And welcome back. Today, we are thrilled to welcome one of the members of President-elect Joe Biden's COVID advisory board, Dr. Celine Gounder. She's a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. She's also an epidemiologist and an infectious disease specialist, exactly who you want guiding the president. So welcome, Dr. Gounder. It's my pleasure to be here. We're so glad you're here. Um, We have a lot to talk about today. There's two promising vaccine trials, a lot of depressing data, one looming holiday that centers on activities that, according to medical experts, would be very, very stupid to celebrate traditionally, given all that's going on. But first, um, how are you doing? Are you drinking enough water and getting enough sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I have not taken a day off since February. So this has been a crazy stretch even before being um, appointed to the advisory board. And uh, I guess is going to continue to be a crazy stretch for a while yet. <laughs> um, okay, so let's start with the, the bad news. Um, so we're seeing a troubling spike in COVID-19 cases throughout the U.S., Uh, that hasn't been seen since the beginning of the pandemic. So can you give our listeners an overview of what's going on and why that is? Well, you know, yeah, I've been getting this question, why are we seeing cases going up now? And this is related to the time of year. People are indoors more because the weather's getting cooler. Um, If you look at the parts of the country where the virus is surging the most, uh, it's no accident that these are parts of the country that are colder, relatively speaking. Um, And so that's been a major factor here. This is the same pattern we see with uh, the with regular respiratory viruses, with the cough, cold, and flu. This is why cough, cold, and flu is um, typically um, in the fall and winter. Um, And the coronavirus is a respiratory virus like the rest of those. And so it's very predictable that this time of year would would be worse. So in some rare pandemic news that wasn't bad, Uh, We have two vaccines, one by Pfizer, one by Moderna, but both have shown effectiveness and safety in large-scale clinical trials. Another one by BioNTech is also promising. So can you please just give it to us straight? Does this mean that the end of COVID times are in sight? Are we planning New Year's Eve's in 2021 already? (laughs) But realistically, what steps stand between the announcement of the vaccines and large-scale immunity to COVID-19? Well, I I think first I just want to say this is super exciting news. Um, Both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine seem to be effective and safe. Uh, They are going to be going for emergency use authorization very shortly here. uh, And you will probably see both of them being administered um, to frontline uh, healthcare workers, other essential workers, and very high-risk populations. For example, people living in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. I think you're going to start to see that at the end of this calendar year. Um, that said, we don't have um, quite enough data to get a full approval of both of those vaccines. We'll be continuing to do ongoing follow-up of people who have been vaccinated to ensure that the vaccines remain effective over time, that we don't see any um, unknown, unpredictable side effects emerge over the next couple months. Um, So that is an ongoing um, safety and effectiveness analysis. 
Um, the other thing is it's going to take time to manufacture enough doses for 330 million people across the country. Both of the vaccines that will probably come out for first or earliest require two doses. So if you have 330 million people in the U.S., that's 660 million doses of vaccine that you would actually need to manufacture. And then in addition to that, you have to get those doses of vaccine to people. Um, and so that's a major logistical challenge. We haven't had to do mass vaccination in this country since the polio days. And so I think a lot of people forget how complicated that is. Um, and with these vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine requires deep freezing at minus 70 Celsius. Um, those kinds of deep freezers are not available in regular community hospitals or your doctor's office. Um, the Moderna vaccine also requires freezing, but not as um, deep frozen as, as the Pfizer vaccine. Um, but both, you know, are going to be challenging because of those temperature um, issues. And you, what you'll probably see is targeting of those two vaccines, as well as other vaccines that may be coming down the pipeline um, not soon thereafter, uh, based on the characteristics of the vaccine, you know, which ones are easier to deliver, say, in a rural setting versus an urban setting, which might be better and more effective in the elderly um, than, than others. So I think we're going to be targeting um, these vaccines geographically, uh, population-wise. Um, and so you may not see the exact same vaccines used in, in every different setting. So basically a massive logistical and public messaging challenge. Got it. Yeah, yeah, because people are also going to have to line up and want to get vaccinated, right? So even if we get the vaccine to your local CVS, will you go and, and receive it? Um, so yeah, the messaging is no small part of, of this. Do, do the anti-vaxxer, does the anti-vaxxer community worry you at all uh, here? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think people have good reason to be skeptical and hesitant to get vaccinated. And there's there was already uh, a very strong vaccine hesitancy streak among Americans before COVID. And, and I think that's only gotten worse, really, uh, during the pandemic, uh, which is unfortunate because, of course, this is one of our best tools to, to address uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, and I think there's a range of reasons people are skeptical. You have people who don't want to be told by the government what to do. You have people who are um, skeptical and suspicious of pharmaceutical companies. You have people uh, that are worried about the politicization of the vaccine approval process and is this truly a safe vaccine. Uh, you have people who believe natural is always the best way and, and you know, even more reasons beyond that. Um, and so really what we need to do is map all the different reasons why all the different populations and how, you know, subgroups and, and how they, they think about this, um, listen to them. That's where this has to start. Um, really hear their concerns, uh, and then try to identify leaders from within those communities, people who we can sort of help arm with information, uh, with the best science, but then you know, really empower them to be the ones reaching out to their community and, and encouraging them to, to get vaccinated. 
So it sounds like a lot of work ahead. Um, According to the Washington Post, in the past five months, President Trump has attended zero Corona Task Force meetings, but has gone golfing 25 times. As an infectious disease specialist and human living in this COVID area, what's it like watching how the Trump administration has responded to the crisis? Is it frustrating to watch this administration's blasé attitude? And of all the non-golf balls that Trump has dropped, which ball do you think he's dropped the hardest? Um, hey, I wish I could have had time to go golfing 20 ti- 25 times in the last year. Um, <laughs> I-, I wish I could have had time to just take an evening off to watch a movie with my husband. I haven't even been able to do that. Um, yeah, uh, priorities, right? Um, in terms of balls dropped, um, I think it's not even a ball dropped. It's it's a It's a ball that... I don't even know what the right analogy here is. I I think the whole mask debate, the politicization of masks, I mean, that's like politicizing the use of toilet paper. Masks are (laughs) a basic hygienic tool. Um, And and so the idea that that we would politicize our – one of our most effective tools for preventing transmission in this moment, it's cheap. It's effective. It doesn't shut down the economy. It works. Um, it is really frustrating. Um, now, I will say people are getting better over time about wearing masks. The latest surveys would indicate that over 90% of Americans are wearing masks at least some of the time. They're not doing it all the time. They're not perfect about it. But that's much, much uh, improved over what we were seeing earlier during the pandemic. So I think that's promising. I think another major area where the ball was dropped and hidden or whatever (laughs) analogy you want to use was testing. Um, You know, I think in the beginning there were some real missteps um, with with the rollout of testing. Um, Some of that was on the scientific front. Some of that was on the the political front. Um, And then this active discouragement of, of testing, saying we're just testing too much. I mean, what you have to understand about the coronavirus is that I think of it like a, an iceberg. And so the part of the iceberg that it's a, that's above water, that's the people we see getting sick. Those are the people we see going to the hospital and dying. And that's a lot of people. But the bigger part of the iceberg is underwater. It's invisible. It's the people who have few or no symptoms, who don't even realize they have it, but they're transmitting. And so the only way to control this um, pandemic is to uncover those invisible infections, those people who don't even realize they're infected. And the only way to do that is to massively scale up testing. And so that is going to be a big focus of the early days of the the Biden-Harris response to the pandemic. As a member of uh, President-elect Biden's COVID advisory board, um, are there any things other than COVID that you are advising them to prioritize? Um, and are you feeling optimistic? Yeah, our focus as the advisory board really is on COVID, but there are a lot of other things that um, COVID touches on. And I would say probably the biggest um, through line in all of this that will have impacts on other aspects of the health system, public health, is really uh, a focus on equity. We know that this pandemic has had disproportionate impacts on communities of color. And so that's really going to be a huge focus of our thinking. Um, We're going to be very alert to that with all of our planning, whether that's you know, how do we scale up testing? How do we make sure um, people um, have access to the vaccine? 
One of the issues with testing that we've already seen is that communities of color have simply not had as many and as accessible of testing sites as wealthier white communities. And so if you have to go and you need to wait in a very long line uh, to get tested, that's going to be a disincentive, especially if you're somebody who gets paid on the job by the hour where every hour that you're standing there in line is lost wages. Um, so that is, that's the kind of thing we're going to be very sensitive to as we, as we plan and move forward. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Gounder. It has been so soothing to listen to an actual expert who <laughs> is going to be guiding uh, our government in, in like responding to this pandemic because Lord knows there aren't enough doing it now. So thank you so much. And listeners, if you'd like to hear more from her, you can catch her on the two podcasts that she hosts. Do you have a 24-hour day or do you have like extra hours? (laughs) Um, They're called Epidemic and the other one is called American Diagnosis. Dr. Gounder, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the work you do. Oh, it's a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. All right, folks, we're back. Alyssa is still with me, but we are also joined by the lovely, the wonderful, the writer, the actor, the comedian, the creator, Tian Tran. Oh, my God. What an intro. (laughs) 
I just like to be positive. That this is a world good. of negativity. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's so good. good to see you both. It's good to see you too. Tian, did you know that this is the first ever episode of Hysteria where all we have all four time zones of the lower 48 covered? No. Caroline is in Pacific. You are in Central. I am in Mountain. <laughs> and Alyssa is in East Coast time. Okay. This, this is, is beautiful. This is a beautiful day. If we had, if we had um, Kieran, it would be amazing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's always amazing whenever we can add more people to the squad. Remember that big <laughs> Zoom call you guys all did? I know. With, that was so fun. That was really fun. It was mildly chaotic, but I think it was it was also <laughs> really fun. Um, Alyssa, you know— We've done news where we gab about the news, but I want to talk a little bit about your situation today. Um, Tell me about where you are physically and and why. Well, Erin, COVID slowed a lot of things down, including some construction that was set to be done on our house, which should have been done in May and started last night. So turns out they're breaking through a wall in my bedroom, which would have made podcasting not conducive. So my very generous, <laughs> lovely neighbor and pod companion, she's my, she's my COVID pod uh, up here. She was like, girl, just go down the street and use the gym. And so it took, it took a little finessing to get in here, but here we are. Live <laughs> from a gym. It's a little semester It's cozy. Tian. Tian, how is uh, how's the middle of the country? You know, the middle of the country, it, it feels great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I never, you know, that, but if, if, I feel like if I say something bad about the Midwest, it'll, people will come for me. And I love the Midwest, but I do think that... Um, we're not we're not handling the COVID as well. We are a hot spot, which is cute. Um, <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, just also potting with in-laws. Um, pods are great. Really, they are a lifesaver, I must say. Both podcasts. Both and, podcasts and yes. And virus pods. Virus we, pods. We virus pods. Um, guys. Uh, we're about to enter the second wave of, or wait, continue the first wave. We're about, the wave is about to get wavier, essentially. Yes. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about it with a medical expert today. Um, I want to talk about something that, that isn't the virus though. And, uh, it is something that is zeitgeisty. Um, that's a question that has been on my mind this week, which is what makes someone a loser? <laughs> is it showing up to your old high school five years after you graduated and hanging out in the parking lot, wearing your letter jacket during lunchtime, waiting for the people who are in eighth grade when you were last in school to make you feel like a big shot? Um, is it setting up a fake Twitter account for the express purpose of leaving flattering replies to your real tweets so they look like they're coming from a stranger? which is the 2020 equivalent of sending flowers to yourself at work to make your work crush jealous. Um, people actually do that. I was just going to say, is that a thing? That is a thing. a thing. I think some, some, like, some conservative radio guy got caught complimenting his feet from what he thought was a fake Twitter account. Oh, but it that's was actually, hilarious. Yeah. Okay. It's so that's always one, something like that. It's like, it's, it's never like a, a chill thing. It's like a feet thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's no way. There's just no way to be chill about foot compliments unless you're in a community where the it, where it's expressly allowed. Yeah. Like otherwise, it's just like you just don't you don't say anything about feet. Okay. Another another question is being a loser. Is it spending decades of your life calling people losers into a microphone only to lose? an election uh, on a historic level. Let's listen to one of those people that, that might have done that. A total loser. It's a tremendous loser. A sure loser. They proven loser. The biggest loser. A stone cold loser. It's a hell of a loser. I've always been a loser. One of the greatest losers of all time, this guy. Greatest loser on earth. One of the greatest losers in the history of politics. What a loser. My wife thinks I'm a total loser. I'm a loser. I never want to be called a loser. Wow. Uh, well, The Daily Show pulled all those clips and listened to him talk for that. I'm I'm sure it was a very long time um, in order to put that together. That was uh, lame duck President Donald Trump uh, calling people losers in a move that couldn't possibly backfire for him. Um, Tian, I want to I want to start with you. Um, what do you make of the president's kind of sore loserdom uh, post election? I mean, it's so predictable. I think that's the thing that has been the most annoying to me is that it's exactly what I thought he would react as like this inability to gracefully concede and this inability to just embrace loserdom. (laughs) And he has not at all. Something that was really satisfying to me after the election was I was with my in-laws and we were driving back and forth through um, the Midwest. And there are parts of Illinois that, you know, there were a lot of Trump signs. And it felt so good. And I I honestly don't think I ever even really like call people losers or like use the phrase loser. But as I was driving past all those signs, my partner was driving and I would just point out the window and go loser. And it felt (laughs) so good to shout these out at these like big Trump 2020 signs on like hay bells. Like it felt so cathartic. Um, And shouting that out while he's still, you know, undermining our institutions and not losing gracefully felt like a tiny moment of reprieve for me. (laughs) So you agree with Donald Trump on something then? You agree that it's fun to call people? It is kind of fun. (laughs) You know what? When when people deserve it, (laughs) I think it feels really good to yell. (laughs) (laughs) And when you vote for like, white supremacy and racism and xenophobia and like sexism, you know, in this moment, I'm just going to shout at your hay bales painted (laughs) with Trump 2020. I don't think that hurt anyone. No, no. I mean, the hay bales can't hear you. I don't think. I, right. I don't think so either. I I don't think. Um, Alyssa, um, I think Tian touched on something really important, which is that this is annoying. Like, I think that Donald Trump thinks that he's owning the libs or like making us upset, but like, I feel primarily annoyed. Do you share that feeling or do you have any like real fear underneath it? I mean, I do think that, that, you know, vice president, I keep saying vice president elect, president elect Biden. Um, I think they're doing a very good job of doing everything they can do right now. Right. But them doing 100% more than they should have to do 
doesn't mean that, like, it's okay, right, mm-hmm. that we're going to be okay. Like, they're largely staffing everything with volunteers because they don't have money to pay anything. Like, why should that have to be when Donald Trump won by way less than Joe Biden won? Barack Obama had him, President Obama, had him in the office, like, the next day. Everything, the keys of the transition were turned over to them. And mostly, like, he just fucking lost. It's over. Dude, it is over. And you know how I know it's over, TN, to your point, is that end of last week, the hardcore MAGA in my neighborhood, those fucking signs were down. The flags were away. It was just Christmas now, people. It is just Christmas. They have moved on. They're like, you know, and it's funny because there was like a bit of a, you know, I told, like all through the fall, I talked about sign wars, how like up here, it was really just like lawn signs were bigger and badder than ever. And the best is it was just a fucking standoff on Schneidertown Road because as long as those MAGA signs were up, the people were keeping their Biden signs up. And then as soon as the, the Trump there was one house that was so super MAGA. It was like it was like Halloween, but with MAGA designs. Okay, and they that's just fucking terrifying. threw in the towel. They threw in the towel last week, and then all the other Biden signs came down because I think the Biden sign people were like, "You're losers," and we're going to remind you of that. <laughs> and until you accept that, we're staying here. And so, anyway, things have transitioned into holiday now up here, but. Uh, no, it's like, come on. I don't I don't want to hear again. It's like the whole yes. upside of Joe Biden being president for so many reasons is like, let's move on. Let's not have to worry about our day-to-day existence every single fucking minute of every day. I stayed off Twitter yesterday. I got back on like this morning. I'm like, wait, who did he fire? The DHS guy for cybersecurity? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Just go away. <laughs> yeah, there is a point where it just sort of becomes – like annoying. I have a I have a coda to the story of my dad getting his Biden son stolen over and over again in northern Wisconsin. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So just to catch people up, including Tian or anybody who didn't listen to the episode where I told this story. So my dad uh, on our property, which is like along a highway. So like in rural areas, you just own like acreage. That's like normal. So uh, in one of our fields along the highway, my dad put up Biden signs and they kept getting stolen. And after it happened a couple of times, he made a homemade sign that said thieves for Trump. And that sign didn't get. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so after the election, my dad got a whole bunch more Biden signs. Like, I don't know where he got them, but he had like a garden of them. And he put them up in the field with a homemade sign that said free, take one. And nobody has stolen. Oh my God. Um, yeah. I love that so much. It's kind of fun to rub it in. But, you know, I've been thinking about the concept of a loser and there's like a difference between a sort of bad loser who's like contemptible and someone who's a loser that you feel sorry for. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody like, can somebody go from a contemptible bad loser to one that you actually sort of pity or feel sorry for, or at least like feel empathy for, or is there no, do you pick one and there's no change? Oh, Alyssa's shaking her head. <laughs> why do you, why do you feel that like that, Alyssa? <laughs> well, I just think that it's possible to be a sad loser and transition to a contemptible loser, but I don't think the reverse is true. I think that once you are a contemptible loser, you have just forged your own path and you don't at any point sort of 
glide path into just like pathetic loser. Like Donald Trump is a fucking loser and he's a contemptible loser and there is nothing he will do at any point to make me feel sad for him ever. Mm-hmm. I think that also happened with the Houston Astros. Remember that guy who like yelled, okay, there is an assistant general manager for the Houston Astros during the playoffs last year who yelled in the face of a female reporter about a uh, a player who had some serious domestic violence allegations that had played marginally well for the Astros during the playoffs. He got in this female reporter's face and like yelled at her, like the name after oh they had God. won, like in celebration. He was a bad winner. But then after that, um, the Astros got their asses handed to them by the Washington Nationals and nobody felt bad for them because (laughs) that guy was such a prick. Um, Other reasons too, but that was like one that made it very easy to hate them. Tian, it looks like you were going to say something about the contemptible. I was just going to say, like, I love that question because I'm like racking my brain for any sort of movie that has that, like any sort of like rom-com or like basic movie that has that premise of like super terrible terrible loser that like you know the christmas story what's the one with the three ghosts and the terrible a christmas carol (laughs) the book by charles dickens (laughs) i could not remember it because the only the my first oh my god okay that's my brain not waking up fast enough my first uh time seeing the christmas carol was when scrooge mcduck was the lead of that story (laughs) um but you know i i agree with Alyssa. like for trump or for anyone who, in your story too, I think anyone who has massive amounts of toxic masculinity, like that level of loserdom to me can never be sort of saved. Like, I think you are, mm-hmm. if you're going to be that much of a piece of shit for a long period of time, like I, one, I don't see you all of a sudden, all of a sudden changing your tune. Like, I don't think there's something in your brain that makes you go, you know what? I recognize how terrible I've been. So like now there's time for sympathy. I don't think that's like possible for someone who's dug a hole so deep into the ground and like shit in it for so long and then sat like, and it's like simmering in their own shit. So no, I don't feel bad for that person. I mean, I think that that kind of brings something up that is interesting because when Alyssa, you said that people can't go from like contemptible loser to like lovable loser Um, the thing that came to mind for me was sports movies, which also made me realize that when you're a straight woman and you marry a guy, you basically are signing a contract to just hang out with a straight guy mostly (laughs) for the rest of your life. And so you end up being kind of influenced by by straight guy culture, especially during uh, pandemic times, because I was thinking like Cobra Kai uh, in karate is an example of like super toxic masculinity. But at the end, it's like, hey, you fought good, you know, or like. Um, but I mean, that's essentially in, uh, a fable. Yeah, that's true. Or Ice in Top Gun. You know, he goes from chomping his teeth menacingly at Tom Cruise in the in the locker room to begrudgingly offering his congratulations. I mean, so he goes from like contemptible to sort of like, got to admit you're cool. <laughs> or like in Mighty Ducks 2, the <laughs> team from Iceland, at the end of the game, they're like, Good job. Even though the whole time they were, you, you were supposed to hate them. There are, you know, see. Yeah. However, in Miracle, the movie about the 1980 hockey team, <laughs> the Russians, contemptible. Americans win. Russians still contemptible. 
Mm, Soviets. That's, that's true. Soviets. That's true. That's Soviets. True. Yeah, not the not the Russians. Um, I going back to the Mighty Ducks two thing. I remember watching that the first time and being like, they had the team be from Iceland because whoever wrote this script doesn't know where cold oh weather. Oh my god, happened. I did not. <laughs> it's like uh, the good hockey team from Iceland. <laughs> And really, it's all a bunch of like, you know, people who are like into kind of, I don't know, collective government and like <laughs> music and like Bjork-esque people and land of fire and ice. Anyway, um, have you, okay, so let's pivot from, you know, the kind of overall taxonomy of the loser, like the the one that you feel sorry for versus the one that you, um, the one that you kind of just hate. I was thinking a little bit about the weaponized pitiable loser. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I was thinking about like in the world of comedy when there was a sort of me too reckoning that is still like ongoing happening. It seemed to me that a lot of the men who were implicated, um, or who had it like exhibited a pattern of bad behavior had sort of weaponized their status as a pitiable loser. It's like, I couldn't possibly do anything wrong. Like I'm just a I'm just a loser and a nerd. Like Tian, did you have you ever noticed loserdom being weaponized in a kind of insidious way like that? I mean, I think what you said about stand-up comedy, it's such a complicated, tricky area because like to me it's so clear cut that if someone in a position of power, like a Louis CK or someone like that who has like had a history of behaving poorly, can like fall away and his work allows him for people to empathize. Like his work and his stand-up and his shows has allowed people or has let people be like, he made me laugh once. So like, he has to be good. Like he made me feel better in a tiny moment. So he can't, we can't just like banish him. And I don't think there's anything to like banishing people. I think there is some room for trying to figure out a road to redemption and not like, you know, condemning people to lose or dumb. But in those situations, they never are. Like if there's, they never actually are lost of like, mm-hmm. they haven't lost their fandom. They haven't lost their fan base. And so I think when he pops up or like when any of those people pop up, everyone's so excited to see them because like you said, they've weaponized it. They're like, man, he didn't get to talk on stage for like a year. It must be so hard mm-hmm. for him. And it's, it's wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, how, so we've talked about ungraceful losers, weaponized loserdom. How does one lose gracefully? Well, one can lose gracefully by accepting that it was a fair fight and they lost. And I think that, you know, part of what makes me so viscerally upset about what Donald Trump is doing is that in 2004, when I worked for John Kerry uh, on his presidential campaign, It was like five o'clock. Everyone was drinking on election day. We're like, exit polls look awesome. And truth be told, a couple hours later, people had to sober up because by 11 o'clock, we were on a conference call about how you concede because John Kerry said that it was so important for the country that he do it quickly. So Mm -hmm. if every other president, John McCain's concession speech could not have been more gracious. Like we were crying in Grant Park watching John McCain's speech because it was so lovely. So honestly, if it's fair, 
and you lost, you lost. Like people endure this. This is the thing about what's so crazy right now. It happens to people every single day. You apply for a job. You're up against other people. You don't get the job. Well, do you burn the building down? No, you stupid fucker. And so I just think that every single person has gone through a losing experience and 99% deal with it with some level of, of grace and dignity. And that's all it takes. It is not the other person's fault that you didn't get whatever you wanted. And so you just have to say, good game and move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to touch on what you were saying, like the idea of losing gracefully and weaponizing loser dumb. It's like, if you lose and you keep saying that it's not a fair fight, like the way that he has positioned it or way anyone is like, it's not fair. It's not fair when it's so clear cut what has just happened. Like, he's gaining so much sympathy by being like, they cheated, they cheated, it's unfair. Like, exactly. It's so, mm-hmm. out, it's so outrageous. I mean, that's, that's what happens when people conflate, uh, conflate fairness with them always getting what they want. Mm-hmm. And somebody like Donald Trump has never not been handed something. Like he's never earned anything. He's been handed things and he's squandered things. And he, in his, in, in his like, you know, golf course of a brain has, uh, meaning it's, I don't know, 18 holes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, just a, a natural, flat, smooth. <laughs> I was just picturing like a smooth brain, like a golf course. Um, I feel like he has conflated the uh, getting everything that he wants all the time with fairness. Mm-hmm. He thinks that that's what fair looks like. And when he doesn't get what he wants, he thinks that something bad must have happened. No, actually, the world was the world that handed you everything is the world that was fucked up. The world where you lose in a contest where everyone follows the same rules is the world that we should be living in. Um, I want to say quick before we wrap up this short uh, personal political um, can, you know, can either of you recall a time that you lost something, um, where it ended up being a long-term positive experience? Like, did it feel like terrible at the time, but then you, it kind of redeemed itself. I can start what you guys think. Um, when I was in high school, I was in this club called the Future Homemakers of America. Um, it's a real club. They changed, We changed our name in 1999 to Family, Career, and Community Leaders of America. Uh, I was in it because my school had a really active chapter, and the uh, chapter advisor, who was the like home ec family and consumer ed teacher, was very, very convincing. She was like, Aaron, you're going to be in this club, and you're going to do shit. And so part of it was like, if you were good at the club, you could like run for office, like run for office at the local level, run for office at the state level, run for office at the national level. And uh, I, my ninth grade year, I ran for state office and won. My 10th grade year, I ran for state office again. And I was so cocky. I was almost positive I was going to win. It was just like give a speech, answer a couple questions in front of an audience, you know, glad hand the voting delegates or whatever. And uh, I lost. I lost my sophomore year of high school. And I had, you know, my entire future mapped out based on this trajectory I had set up for myself in the future Homemakers of America. And it got completely sidelined. And losing was, you know, I, I ended up choosing a plan B that worked out for me really well. But Losing was such a valuable experience. It is such an unpleasant thing to go through, especially if it's something that you really want. 
but you have to go through mm-hmm. it. And like, if you go through it when you're young, I think you understand, you develop an empathy for the person that you beat. If you, you know, so it helps you be less of a sore winner. Uh, it takes you down a couple notches if you're cocky. And it, it helps you develop like, kind of problem solving skills. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what do I do? I think now what do I do is one of the most important thought processes that you can de- develop as a growing person, like figuring out what else to do. So that was my losing experience. Um, just to coda it, I did end up being a national officer of the future home. Okay. <laughs> and later, and later the Wisconsin state president. Um, so it Whoa. all turned Whoa, okay. Wow. Yeah. Any any future homemakers of America listening can give me a holler. There's I've got a I've got a quite a backstory, guys. Um, okay. Uh do either of you have a loser story? I have I have one. Okay. I have one. Go oh, ahead, Tia. Okay. Um, it was my the one that sticks out to me was like I had it was my first year in LA and it was I know this is like very industry actory, but it was my first year in LA and it was my first pilot season and I got to test for a pilot, which like in the industry is like a very exciting step as an actor is like, you are one of the last like two or three actors that are being considered for the lead role. I was being considered for the lead role in a pilot about magic and it was written for a Vietnamese American woman. So I was like, this is, this is what I want. Like I want to be the lead of this show about the magic castle where she is like being brought on because now I'm telling you the pilot, but, but she was being brought on for like a diversity initiative, but she was actually really good. So all the magicians were being assholes to her. Anyway, it was such an interesting story. And I was like, so pumped, so excited. I did the audition and the other woman that I was going up against was also in the room with me. And she was being like actory weird. And I know that's like a very vague thing, but she was like pressing me with questions, which is like really to me so rude to do when you're like in a high pressure situation. We're all both trying to like audition. So I auditioned. I felt really good. I walked out, waited for like a call because they told me to wait. She comes out and immediately was like, did you feel like you did well? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what a nightmare. She ended up getting it. And I remember when I saw the like deadline article that said that she had got it, my first thought was like, what a fucking bitch. <laughs> like this person who really just like, as soon as she came out of that audition, she's like, did you feel like you crushed it? I felt, I don't know if I did well, like, but oh, I'm sure you did like that overly insecure, just like way too in your face conversation. And I Maybe I try to be like too cold in those situations, but I really, when she got it, I was like, my God, like that is so unfair. And I was like stewing for weeks about it because it felt like something that I could have really gotten. But I think like you said, like when you, when it comes to losing, there are so many other factors that don't include just like the other person and you, there are like a number of things that are you can't control. And I think that was the lesson for me was that like, you can only control so much. You can't put all of your angst on this other woman who you think behaved poorly after the audition. Like you can only control what you did in the room and it didn't work at that time, but like you can learn and grow from it. So I think the, the, the message of like, what do I do now is, was very much ingrained in me after that. I was like, all I can do is go in and just ignore other people and don't be wild 
and don't ask. <laughs> I mean, I also learned not to act like her after audition. So don't read the industry papers. Like, don't read. Them. They are they are rage generators. They really they are. They only exist for people to. Like, I get excited when I see somebody I know has done something cool and it's announced in deadline. That makes me happy. I think I'm missing the part of my brain that is, I'm supposed to get mad about that when I see other people doing cool shit. Um, but when it's someone I don't like, I'm like, fuck you <laughs> sideways. Like, fuck you. It makes me so mad. So I avoid reading them entirely. So I, I, that, I think that that's probably if you're in any way aspiring to being in the entertainment industry in it, adjacent to it, just don't read them. That's, that is, that's a, probably that is good advice. <laughs> I should just take that. Read <laughs> just don't read them. You can go on living your life. And the only difference will be you haven't read the deadline and you feel better about yourself. That'll be the only difference. You can just ignore it. Nothing bad will happen to you if you just don't read it. Anyway, that's my that's my lecture advice. Um, Alyssa, do you have a, a loser story that you want to share? Yeah. So, you know, high school, let's all go back to high school. Um, I did everything possible to make sure that my grades, my extracurriculars, my working was going to set me up to go to either Cornell or Georgetown. And I was feeling a little cocky about it. I was like, you know what? Which one will I choose if I get into both? Where will I go? And so uh, I was so confident that my parents took me on a trip to Washington, D.C. in early April. Must have been Easter, early April of my senior year. I bought Georgetown sweatshirt. I bought Georgetown car sticker. We got home and opened up the mailbox. I got rejected from everywhere. (laughs) Like everywhere. I no to Cornell, no to Georgetown. Didn't I considered Brown my safety? Got rejected from Brown, and so truthfully, here's how I feel about it. I became a catamount in Vermont, and then a Badger in Wisconsin. And I think that I would have ended up uncool if I didn't go to those two schools. It's like there I learned how to like make it happen. I had friends from all over, like like normal people who were my friends, not like everyone who was trying to be smarter than everybody else. These were kids who were like, I'm just stoked I got in here. (laughs) And it gave me a diverse, I was was able to take whatever courses I wanted because I didn't really care about my GPA. I mean, not like that, but after like getting 104 GPA leaving high school, I was like, maybe we should just take shit that's interesting and not too much worry about the grades. Well, there you go. I think that's a good lesson. I became cool because I got rejected. And even though Dan Pfeiffer is one of my best friends on the planet and are my exact same age and did go to Georgetown, (laughs) I'm like, you might have dodged a bullet. You could have gone either way. I also got rejected from Georgetown. (laughs) (laughs) Who are they even looking for if not us? Uh, Uh, Tiffany Trump. Tiffany Trump. uh, They need to have Tiffany Trump in their law school because she's she's a a luminary. Um, Okay, rejection can be good. Being a graceful loser is a great skill to have. Our president doesn't have it. Uh, He's going to live the rest of his life being remembered as a loser. The more he acts like a jerk, the longer this is going to be burned into our memory. So... I guess in a way, him being a bad loser is good for us because it really sears into the American consciousness just what a piece of shit he is. Um, Okay, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to do I Feel Petty. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped, and my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. 
Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get shipped same day delivery. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Okay, we are back. Before we get to a new segment we're testing out this week, a little bit of housekeeping. Thanksgiving is around the corner. It's a tough time this year. Uh, we're not going to be able to be with our families uh, and celebrate the way we normally do, but there's still a lot to be grateful for. So we want to hear from you, dear listeners. What are you grateful for this Thanksgiving? If you want to let us know, you can send us a 30-second voice memo to hysteria at crooked.com. So just so you know, this is what we're calling the straight man of our holiday content, which means that everything that comes after this is going to be progressively weirder and more bonkers, I, I promise you. Um, okay, adopt a state Georgia. The race hasn't officially been called yet, but Biden won more votes from Georgia voters than Trump, proving that Georgia is winnable. So many voters turned out on both sides that neither candidate in Georgia's two Senate races finished with over 50% of the vote, which means we're headed to two Senate runoff elections in January. Control of the Senate is riding on these two races, and they're tight. But John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock have a shot to win and flip the Senate. That means that we won't have to look at or listen to Mitch McConnell uh, dictating the agenda of the Senate, which would just be wonderful for everybody. That's why Vote Save America is back with Adopt a State Georgia edition. Sign up to Adopt Georgia at votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia and keep an eye on your email for the best ways to help organizers on the ground. They flipped this state for Biden and Harris. Let's help them finish the job. And lastly, big news, guys. Alyssa and I have been working with the Crooked Merch team to bring you some awesome new Hysteria merch just in time for the holidays. You can head over to the Crooked store today to check it out. There are now Fuck That Guy mugs, uh, Sexism is Boring t-shirts, and a hoodie that says the revolution is not glam in a very glam kind of pretty pink. There's even more on the way, so keep an eye on crooked.com slash store. Okay, the house has been kept. Let's get to the new segment. This new segment is something that we are going to call Fight Club. This is where I read something that is a, a hot take, a controversial take um, that I found online, and we respond to it uh, in, a, in a fiery manner, I suppose. Okay, so here is the take that I want to throw into the ring for the inaugural edition of Fight Club. Are you guys ready, Tian? Yeah. Alyssa? Oh, yeah. Ready? Okay. Okay, so this is a tweet by somebody I follow who I really like, and she's really cool, and I think she put this out here to, to sort of, like, tweak some noses. Okay, so she said, uh, wine is gross and also pretend. Wine is gross <laughs> and also pretend. I think uh, I think what she's getting at, um, her name's Caitlin, I think what Caitlin is getting at is that um, she doesn't believe that wine tasting is a real thing and she doesn't like the taste of wine. So who wants to fight about wine? Is wine gross? Is wine also pretend? Tien. Wow. I mean, I feel like she's categorically wrong that wine is gross. <laughs> um, even gross wine to me is great. Like even the like, <laughs> like in college when we could only afford the like Three ninety nine to like two buck chuck three ninety nine wine. I was like, this tastes like pure gold to me. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like I I can't tell the difference. And then as I started to you know get a palate, I don't really have one, but like I wine is deli- I think that is I just I don't even understand someone who wouldn't enjoy wine. 
This is great. Jen is backing slowly away and holding her hands up as though she's frightened, but also trying to keep an animal calm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, what do you think about the take that wine is gross and also pretend? Because guys, I'm just setting you up right now. I'm going to defend this tweet. Oh my gosh. I'm going to defend you it. Go, but go ahead, Alyssa. Go ahead and defend the tweet. I love <laughs> wine. Um, specifically red wine. And to Tien's point, mm-hmm. I'm not some posh ass wine drinker. My favorite <laughs> wine I buy by the case. It's called our daily red. Get it? Cause nobody knows what kind it is. It's just red. <laughs> and that is so fine. It makes my tummy feel good. It makes my head feel good. It's like everything just is good. And it's, it's, pretty affordable. And it doesn't like eat my stomach from the inside out like hard alcohol does. It doesn't make me do stupid things. It mostly just makes me kind of awesome. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, I, I, I respect everyone's individual relationship with wine. I do not think wine is gross because I have enjoyed a lot of wine in my life. And I do enjoy like, I have very specific tastes. And once something hits the taste, it's like, ding, ding, ding. Great. Um, I think the also pretend part of the tweet is what really resonates with me. Um, I do think that uh, wine tasting is kind of a like bullshit thing. <laughs> like people saying, oh yeah, there are notes, there are notes of like vanilla musk in this wine. No, there's not. You're thinking about vanilla and tasting a grape. Or like people <laughs> saying, I, Josh is gonna get so mad at me for this. My husband loves wine and he's actually got a pretty sophisticated palate and he'll be like, oh, I can taste the soil of this. It's probably volcanic soil. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't taste the soil. You absolutely can't. It is the grape and it is the barrel that it got aged in. You cannot taste the fucking soil in this wine. I think wine tasting in a lot of cases is a way to, it's like a gatekeeping way to keep people from enjoying wine. Like just let, agree. I think it's Totally to agree with you. Yes. I agree with that. I agree. Whatever wine they want to taste, they should, yeah, enjoy, enjoy your wine. Tian, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I agree with the pretend part in terms of just like the wine tasting aspect. It's like people have a superpower that like they're like, oh, you're dumb. You can't taste the like tannins in this. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm fucking drinking the wine. Don't talk to me about tannins. Like, do you feel bad? Like, do you have a different drunk when you have the tannin tasting power? Like, I don't think so. We're getting the same amount of joy from this. So yeah, yeah. no, I do believe that the pretend, the pretend side of it. I mean, I agree. Like, have you gone to like a, a winery? I haven't, I've had great time at a winery, but I have to go in with the mentality like when I go into like a haunted house where I'm like, this is an experience that I'm having that is contained to this place. Because <laughs> like at a winery, I can like swirl something around in a glass and be like, oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting what it's that's, doing. But see like, the wine? Oh, go <laughs> but ahead. Like not at a winery. If I do it, I'm like, this is, I don't do this to like milk. You know, like I don't do this to any other beverage. Like if I put coffee in a goblet and swirled it around, it might be do interesting things on the sides too. I don't know. It just, it all seems very like, I don't know. The winery thing is like, I need to just like be in a mindset to be like, I need to be open to the fact that these people think this is going to be an experience and I need to buy it. But there is a buy-in from me. I am not automatically in a place where I can just like appreciate like the color of it, you know? You're not down with like someone being like the legs, the legs of the wine. I'm like, I don't know. It's a great, it's grapes. It's grapes. It doesn't have legs. It's grapes. 
Well, and also the, those people, the, the swirlers and the sniffers, are trying to prevent Tien and I from feeling good about our enjoyment Thank of wine. You. <laughs> it's like, guess what? I can love that shit if it comes in a screw top. Screw top is so much easier, and it goes down smooth, and it feels great. So if you want to sit here and pretend like your fucking $500 bottle of wine legit tastes better than my Our Daily Red— like, go the fuck yourself. Like, like go away. <laughs> Just leave Tien and I yeah. to our three-buck shock. Yep. <laughs> Very happy with a hint of, like, cardboard in the wine that I get from the, <laughs> the boxed wine that I grab. I'm fine with that. Beautiful legs from the cardboard wine. I have had, like, wine picked out for me. I've, like, described it to, like, at a fancy restaurant. I've been like, here, look, here's what I like. I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. I like this, this, and this. And I've had it work perfectly and have them bring me, like, a heavenly perfect glass of wine that takes, tastes delicious. Um, but for the most part, I'm satisfied with, like, the Gruner that you can buy yeah. from, like, Trader Joe's um, with the screw-up top. The screw-off top because, like, who has time for a corkscrew? Seems— Seems like so much work. Okay. So look, we did get, this is Fight Club. We, we, it was great. We, I love Fight we fought Club. a little, but we came to a place, I think, of understanding. I understand. I think we all understand what Caitlin meant. And I think we all like respectfully disagree in our own specific ways. But it was a fun fight, guys. <laughs> Let's do this again sometime. A fair fight. A fun fight. <laughs> a fair fight. A fun fight. And that's all the show we have for today. Thank you to Dr. Celine Gounder. Thank you to Tian Tran and to my ride or die, Alyssa Mastromonaco. And thank you to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Magic Groot. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 